Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. You solemnly swear. To support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. And to bear true faith. And allegiance to the same. And I will obey. The orders of. The President of the United States. And the orders of. Those officers. Appointed over me. According to regulations. And the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of the American Vet Podcast. I'd like to start this episode off by saying thank you all. Thank you to all the listeners out there and just give uh, some new information. I now have a website for the podcast, so you don't have to go to a bunch of different other sites to do anything for the podcast. If you want to be a guest or, you know, if you want to email me or anything like that, you can just go to www.americanvetpodcast.com and you'll get everything on this podcast there and if you want more even more than that i'm on facebook there's a facebook uh page and instagram once again it's american vet podcast this episode i get to sit here with brandon brandon is a u.s air force veteran who served for 11 years 2005 2016 he's been on two non-combat deployments and in 2006 for his group, he was awarded Airman of the Year. Brandon, how you doing today? I'm living a dream, boss. How you doing? <laughs> living a nightmare, chasing a dream. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Here's a, here's a trick. I always tell people, nightmares are dreams, too. That's it. <laughs> you know, my grandfather told me all the time, he's like, you know, cheer up. Things can get worse. And every time I cheered up, they got worse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Pull the rug out from under you. Yeah. You know, he's a nice guy. <laughs> so, Brandon, uh, you know, so who were you um, prior to the military? What drove you into joining the Air Force? <clears throat> um, Wow. So before the military, little 19-year-old Brandon uh, had tried to go to college on his own, um, got kicked out of college, because not because I did anything bad, because I didn't have any money, <laughs> um, and then, you know, tried to work some, some dead-end target Best Buy type jobs. I uh, was a cook, cut off part of my finger, got like third degree burns on my arm and stuff. You know, it's not great stuff. Um, just getting kicked out of like my second uh, place to live, didn't have any career path, didn't have any future. My uncle um, had been in for, I think at that point, 16, 17 years or something like that. Um, and my mother's longtime on again, off again boyfriend was a former Marine. So I had military people around me who were telling me that I should think about joining the service and, you know, me being the punk uh, rap scallion kid I was with my long hair down past my shoulders and everything. I was like, I'm never joining the service. You're not going to get me in there. And then eventually when reality struck and I had to find something to do, I'm like, you know, maybe the service isn't so bad. At least I can do, you know, a quick four and pay for school and stuff like that. Uh, and so I actually went and took the ASVAB with the Navy, came this close to joining with the Navy because I'd met uh, an Air Force recruiter that was a douchebag. He was a tool. Uh, he made it like... So everybody knows the Air Force has the nicest amenities. We all, we all understand yeah. that, right? Yeah. So he, he dove into that. And so basically pitched me like I was some punk who was like scared of everything. Yep. And, uh, he was like, yeah, see, here's me on deployment. He showed me on a beach and stuff like that. I'm like, you seem like a real dick and I don't want anything to do with you or the service you're, 
you know, promoting right now. Um, right. So I went and I had a friend who was about to join the Navy. And so I went and took a test with them and stuff. And I'm like, you know, Navy seems cool. And then luckily my mother talked me into uh, my mother and my uncle and the boy, all the people that were involved in that group told me to go talk to another Air Force recruiter. And I did. And then uh, that one went a lot better. And she was a lot more reasonable, and I ended up signing up for the Air Force, you know, back. And I had to drop like 20 pounds, I think, before I could go to basic. Wow. <laughs> so, okay, so your uncle, was he in the Air Force too as well, or is he is he a Marine? Correct. He uh, he was Air Force as well. He uh, retired, uh, did his little over 20, I think. Uh, he had served in Desert Storm and everything like that, and then uh, he retired finally back in, I want to say, 08, 09. Okay. All right. So, wow. Yeah. So 20 pounds. What, uh, how fast did you have to drop it? How fast did you have to drop that weight? Oh man. You know, I don't even remember. It, it feels like it was a quick period of time, but it could have been like six months. I don't know. I want to say, let's, let's, let's say three to four months. I think it was like okay. probably three to four months, something like that. And what's funny is this is back when Jared first became big. You remember Jared before what he's known for now, obviously, yep. uh, Subway guy, Jared. Uh, and so that's how I did it. I was eating a lot of Subway, man, to drop the weight. <laughs> so you're, you're, you proved it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. I, I can't say I, I subscribe to the full method that he may have been using, but I definitely <laughs> uh, got the subs going and uh, dropped the weight to go to basic. Oh, outstanding. Yeah, I had, uh, from the time I went and talked to my recruiter to the time I was on the Yellow Footprints in Paris Island was two weeks. Oof. So that's why I was like, man, I couldn't, you know, I, I think I had to drop something like, like, uh, like eight, eight to 12 pounds or something like that I had to drop, which was very easy. I just took some, uh, oh, what the hell was it? It was like some, um, some oil or something like that that just made you fucking mm. shit like crazy. but uh, all right so now now you talk to you know you go talk what were you going to be in the navy what was uh what was your main job so this shows you where my mindset was at the time because i again i grew up pretty poor uh didn't really know much about the world in general and so the only thing that was motivating to me when i was talking to recruiters was dollar size and i scored very well in the asvab so they're like oh shit we can get you into anything and the guy's like, oh, we'll make you a nuclear subtech because they have a – and they're like, yeah, here's their yep. sign-on or their reenlistment bonus and stuff like that. And I saw those dollars and I'm like, boom, yeah, let's do that. Let's uh, let's sign me up. So I know they were pissed when I switched because that's like your your, uh, your unicorn there that you're not going to get a lot of those through the door, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, – since I started this podcast, I actually talked to a couple of Navy guys and they were saying that like, you know, if you scored big, the recruiters were really pushing the, uh, the nuke side of yep. the program and stuff. So, all right, so now, you, you know – you're not going into the Navy. Now you're going in the Air Force. Now, did they give you a bunch of jobs to kind of pick from, or they're just kind of like open enlistment kind of deal? No, they, no, she did as well. Same, same, same scenario. And she actually, uh, I'm one of the people who has that story of the recruiter kind of screwed me. Uh, uh, at least a path, you know, obviously I ended up staying in for 11 years, so it wasn't terrible or anything, but like my path, because she, she got me to do, uh, airborne crypto linguist, um, which requires a TS. And, uh, sorry, top secret for anybody who may be listening and not recognizing the terminology. But, um, but when you're looking at top secret, she said that I was under 23, so they won't check my credit. The first freaking thing they do when they go try to give you top secret is look at your credit. So I had to get reclassed in basic, you know, so I I go and I sign up for that. I'm all excited. I get to fly on planes, learn a language. You get to spend like a year, two years out in Monterey, uh, California at the, uh, the language institute and everything. I was so psyched for it. And then I get to basic and they start doing the TS, uh, investigation the first thing they do is like hey uh, let's look at your credit i'm like well i know my credit's fucked that's one of the reasons i'm here <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> okay so 
Yeah, I mean, you would think that they would do that prior to, but now you're kind of you're kind of screwed. You're in boot camp. You've signed the paperwork, so now they're like, "All right, now you can't have this." So what what was your ultimate MOS that they ended up giving you? Well, so, so just one extra detail I want to add in that too, because I remember right. this part viscerally because. When I was in basic, sleep deprivation got to me uh, a lot, and I became a real bitch about the whole thing. Like, I wanted out. Like, I'm like, uh, and so I was like, sweet, now that I can't do this job, this is my opportunity. And I was really thinking they were going to tell me, hey, you can go home, or, or you, you don't qualify anymore, or, you know, get the hell out of here. Uh, but then when they go there, and the, the, the person I was talking to to do the reclass, um, she says, you see here, we're on your form. You said you had no debt. Because the recruiter, again, they don't tell you to say no and everything, but they say, hey, if you say yes, you might not be able to get this job. Right. And so they right. just like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, so I put no. And so because the, technically I had lied about it, the contract was still stands and they could do whatever the hell they want with me. So they, they uh, gave me some op, they gave me some options, but, but I, I got lucky there that they didn't go full open enlistment. But, uh, so anyway, so I, I'm looking and I don't know anything about any of these jobs. And like, they don't, they're not giving me like a week to do this or something like that. They're like in the room. Here's a book, pick some shit in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> so I'm like, Oh God, I was like, I have no idea what to do it. So I, I'll be dead honest. The only way I picked a job was like, I was looking for a non-combat position. Uh, and then I was looking through the book and I saw this school that had, um, the, 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 the tech school, as we call it, a school, I think some other branches and stuff like that call it, uh, was at the same place that I knew a friend of mine was at. So I'm like, screw it. If I don't know what the hell I'm picking, this is a non-combat position. It, it was graphic artist, you know, okay. uh, and then, so I picked it because it was at this, uh, it's at Fort Meade up in Maryland. And I knew I had a friend up there and I'm like, fuck it. I don't know what else what I'm doing. And I'm not going security forces. And I want to make sure I pick something <laughs> that is good. And I think at the time too, like graphic artists was like super needed or for whatever reason, uh, and then, so I picked that man and ended up being, uh, oh, what was that original three V O X one was the AFSC as we call them instead of MOS. Oh, okay. All right. So now, so now you got that and you're in boot camp. And, uh, so what's your, you know, you're kind of, you know, I'm not trying to put you down or anything, but it kind of yeah. sounds like your, you know, your life prior to military was all fucked up, was all kind of, you know, yeah. really not really going anywhere. Um, so now you're in boot camp. And so what was your experience in boot camp as far as like get, being told to do things? I mean, Having an uncle that was in the Air Force probably mm. helped you out a little bit, you know, <laughs> kind of pre well, helped you out. <laughs> well, to piggyback off of my, my fucked up lifestyle before I joined the military, uh, I think that prepared me for it because let me just say being yelled at was not a new experience. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? So, and the uh, threats of physical violence and all that stuff did not uh, necessarily affect me all that much. Like I said, the only thing that really got to me was the sleep deprivation, which is weird. It's not something I expected at all. That that was a huge left turn for me. Uh, but anyways, it was, it was fun. Um, it was interesting, man. It was really, I have to be honest. It was really interesting how the stress got to me. And you learn a lot about yourself, I think, in basic training. And let, let's, again, let's be clear here. The Air Force has probably one of the easiest basic training. It's not very, uh, demanding in a lot of different ways compared to the other ones. Right. Um, but it, it was really a cool experience. It's one of those things you look back on, you're like, holy shit, I did that. And you go and you have some things that laugh, like make no sense. Like when Taps played one night and a guy was in the middle of changing his underwear. And so he had to stay at attention. He's holding his whitey tighties right in front of his penis, but he's still naked, like behind him and everything. Like that. So <laughs> and I'm standing directly across the, uh, the bunks or whatever from him. And I'm just, we're just, we make eye contact and we're trying so hard not to die laughing because he's butt naked standing at attention while <laughs> Taps is playing holding, you know, so just stuff like that, man. And me cutting my face like super bad. Cause you know, when you first get there, they're yelling at you. Like you're gonna shave your face, you can do all this stuff, or whatever. And so I tried to shave so fast, I just took the razor and just right across my cheeks, like a huge gash. Uh. And I didn't know this at the time, but like 
the guys who were in there with us weren't TIs. They were just like trainees from a couple weeks ahead of us. You know what I mean? Like, so they'd only been here five weeks or some shit like that. And then I'm bleeding all over the place. And they're like, Oh, Jesus Christ. They're like, we don't do this kid. They're like, just put some, uh, some toilet paper on or whatever and just go, you know, get the fuck out of here or whatever. <laughs> go change your socks. You'll be all right. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, no, man, basic training was, basic training is great. It's one of those things I'm never, you know, you're just never going to forget. Right. It was, it sucked while you're going through it. It's not something I definitely am looking to repeat. But it's one of those things where you're looking back on it and there's so many memories, so many just funny stories, that, and they make no sense to civilians. You know, you're trying to talk to somebody, and if you haven't gone through a similar experience, it just doesn't make sense to you. Right. You just don't have that same uh, that connection to it. Yeah, and you know, it's, you know, I talk to people now that I've been out. You know, I got out in 09, but, you know, even to this day, I talk to some people, and I'm like, you know, the, the transition that everybody goes through in boot camp, you know, you're going from being a civilian, you know, you go to a boot camp, whatever branch you are, you're going to. Um, they break you down mentally. Yeah. You know that's what it's there for. They break you down. They rebuild you up because now you're your government property. So now they want the most out of you they can get, no matter what branch you're in. And the biggest thing that I take from boot camp, and to this day I'm still amazed, is you go to boot camp with that prison mindset, like I said before. And uh, you know I'm gonna be the biggest guy there. I'm not gonna let these kill hats fucking yell at me and all the you know prison rules. You know yeah, you're gonna yeah, go there yeah. and you're gonna beat up the biggest guy and then you know you get there and you find out it's completely different and then uh, you know you hate everybody in your platoon that you're, you're you're in boot camp with, but then by the time boot camp's over, you're like, dude, I'll take a round for you any day. Yeah, you know you yeah. need a couch, you can sleep on my couch. I don't care. You know, so it's it's that's a that's a crazy uh, transition just to go through in a couple months for some people. You know, some people a little bit longer, but. Um, so now, so now you get this, the graphic design and mm -hmm. where, where was your first duty station? Like where were you first going to? So here's another interesting t uh, part of that. So I yep. told you before, my uncle was in the air force. So yep. we've got this whole worldwide air force that they could send me to, they could station me anywhere. They sent me to the fucking base. My uncle was at. So they <laughs> sent me to uh Moody air force base down in Valdosta, Georgia. Um, that was my first duty station after I got to tech school and I was at tech school for, uh, for six months because I got, um, uh, I forget what they call it now, but essentially because I got reclassed in basic, they didn't have a slot for me. So when I got there, they, like the, the detachment knew, uh, the air force people knew I was coming, but they didn't have a room in class for like six weeks or whatever, how many weeks it was. So I was just hang, literally hanging out around the, uh, the uh, the barracks and stuff and just like cleaning and shit. That's all I would do for like every day as for like six hours, seven hours a day was just clean shit and like do chores and basically and everything like that. And so anyways, um, I, you know, I get stationed at Moody air force base and, uh, go down there in November of 2005. Okay. Now did your uncle have anything to do with you going there or is that just coincidence? No. So what it, I found out what it ended up actually being, cause again, you know, you put your, your, your basis of choice. You're not yeah. going to fucking get them, but you can make at least know what you want or whatever. And so I put down a ton of Florida bases because I thought I wanted to be in Florida. Um, and so what they did is like, Hey, Valdosta is 30 minutes from the Florida border. Here you fucking go. <laughs> That's how <laughs> I got to there. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. I remember finding that out. I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. This is how I got this middle of nowhere shit face. And again, the only wrong, the experience there was great in Valdosta is, uh, if you like smaller towns, Valdosta is great, but I was trying to, you know, go to a bigger town or something like that. It was just, uh, really funny that they're like, yeah, Florida is close enough. Here you go. Okay. Now, was your uncle, uh, enlisted like yourself or is he an officer in the Air Force? Enlisted as well. Yeah. Okay. He was, I mean, I don't know if, this, if the Marines are the same way, but, uh, the Air Force, it used to be you could retire as an E6 and that's what he did. 
So he was like one of those old surly E6s who had been an E6 for like fucking 10 years or whatever it is. Now in the Air Force, you can't do that. I think the lowest you can retire at is E7. Uh, they changed okay. it a few years back and everything like that. So yeah, he was enlisted, um, for the whole time, never wanted to be an officer because he never wanted to, you know, cross over to the dark side, as they say. Right, right. Okay. Now did you, uh, so what was that family life like at that point? Now every time like family reunion stuff like that, did he, was he, did he rag on you a little bit because he he was an E six and at that point you're you know E two or whatever? But well, so so some unique experiences there as well because uh, I'm, you can see me here. I'm not sure if you can tell, but I'm mixed. So my uncle's white, uh, and so we we'd go on base and stuff like that, and we'd hand him our IDs, and we have the same last name, of course, and everything like that. And they would always do a double take, and then I had him come to uh, to tack me on, as they say, for uh, E four when I made uh, senior airman. And I'm telling my commander, I'm introducing like, hey, this is Sergeant Carey from the CE squadron. This is my uncle. And he's like, no, he's not. He's just some guy you found with the same last name or whatever. Because he was white. He didn't believe that he was my uncle. And I'm like, this is my fucking mom's brother. Yeah, he's my <laughs> uncle. Uh, and so, oh, my God. But, yeah, when you get tacked on, uh, and the Marines, I think you guys do it a little bit different. You do like a chop or something, right? Like because it's on your lapels or? Yeah, so what they do too? is they'll, they'll, they'll put your, your rank on your on your collars or whatever. Yeah. And then they'll, they'll pound them into your chest for you. Yeah. So in the Air Force, because it's on our sleeve, they punch you. You know, you just like pull yep. on punch you, whatever. And so he's my uncle, and he's a surly ass E6. So he just fucking blasts me uh, when I'm putting <laughs> on E4, like to the point where it was bad because in a really weird way, the other guy didn't hit me that hard. So the other guy barely hits me. He wails me, so I go flying this way. And then as I'm like making my way around like the the promotion ceremony or whatever and saying thank you for coming, blah, blah, whatever. And yeah. he sneaks up behind me and then he gets the other fucking arm. And, just, <laughs> and my arms are like black and blue for the next like three, four days and everything like that. So uh, it was good, man. And, like I said, I definitely enjoyed uh, being there with my uncle. You know, you go in the military to try to be your own man and try to be your own person and everything. But uh, I didn't mind, you know, being stationed there with him as well because we're, we're pretty independent. So we saw each yeah. other, you know, uh, every couple of weeks or something like that. But we weren't up each other's ass. And I appreciated him giving me that space. Wow, yeah, I couldn't, uh, yeah, if times were different for me, um, I don't have a lot of military people in my family, so my, my grandfather would be, you know, if I had to serve on the same base with my grandfather and he was there, he would fuck with me all the time. <laughs> he would have me out there vacuuming snow, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, for the Marine Corps, um, the worst part about picking up, like, E4, which is, you know, your first non-commissioner officer rank is, uh, mm-hmm. You've seen our, our dress blues and stuff like that, our blue pants with the red stripe. Yep. So when you pick up an E4, um, the day that you pick up rank for E4, if there's, you know, E4 and 5s, however many you have in your unit. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. The gauntlet. Yeah. The gauntlet. Yep, exactly. And uh, so, you know, I'm sitting there and I pick up E4. And I was in Okinawa, Japan when oh, I pick up yeah. E4. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, you know. So I go out and get a big bottle of, uh, I think it was Jack Daniels at that time I was drinking and, uh, I got fucked up and then I had nine other NCOs come over and knee me in my legs that night <laughs> and I heard my blood strikes, but you know, it's one, it's one of those things, you know, you, you, you gotta do it. And, um, I think that's awesome that your uncle was there to, the I call it pinning, but yeah, the pinion, that's awesome. Yeah, man. Like I said, it was a really, uh, experience I'm grateful for. Uh, you know, and for, for, for us in the Air Force, E5 is the first, uh, non-commissioned officer rank that you get. So when I put that on, he, he had already retired at that time, but, uh, he came back to the base to do it again. And, 
I'm trying to remember if this is just something I put in my head or not, but like basically they made it known because this one is a bigger ceremony because now they actually give a shit. Like E4, E3, everybody gets says we don't give a shit. Right. You know, but E5 actually have because you have to do the the NCO creed and all that type of stuff too. So it's like a bigger yep. event. So like, hey, no fucking around. Don't hit people that hard or anything like that. So it was him and my mom and my grandmother uh, on the other side this time and stuff like that. So he still got like his knuckle in there, but he didn't like fully blast me this time <laughs> or whatever. So yeah. But it was like I said, it's definitely cool because you've got your family member there who can give you a little bit uh, of the way to go and can help out with stuff. And again, this is this is hilarious. Uh, because I was so naive and I didn't understand so many things, my my uncle's name is Ralph. He, uh, he, he goes by Tom, though. So I had always called him Uncle Tom. So when my unit, uh, my people in my unit found out that I, you know, mixed uh, black presenting airmen had a white Uncle Tom, they fucking <laughs> just lost their shit. And I, I only said it to him once when we were in uniform. He's like, he's like, hey, I go by Ralph. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I got you. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how long were you in, in, uh, in Georgia for? Uh, I was in Moody for right around five years. Yeah, so I got there wow. in November of 05, left in like July of 2010. So just a little bit less than five years. Is that normal for an airman to uh, or an Air Force member go in and, you know, the first duty station to be there that long? Or is that just be, you like you tried to extend there or just a way to cookie crumble? Well, so two things with that. One, uh, Moody's a black hole. Moody's one of those black hole bases. The, okay. Literally, I had a E-7 there, a master sergeant for us, uh, who had been there non-consecutively, non-consecutively at Moody for 16 years. You know what I mean? So wow. he's one of those guys. I think he went, got like a... a I don't know if it was a TDY or like something like extended TDY or maybe a tour overseas, but he went for like somewhere for like a year or two and then come back directly to Moody again. So it was a black hole base. It's known for people who just ended up there forever. But also, uh, during like the latter part of my career, excuse me, uh, my time there, two things happened. One, they did make a conscious decision to kind of extend out the time that people were at bases because like it's costing us too much fucking money to move people this often. We're going to elongate it to like five years. And then second to that, uh, that graphics art career field I decided to join, they deleted it. So I didn't have a job for like two years. I was kind of like an all catch all, uh, AFSE, as I said before, our version of MOS. Um, and they just had me doing odds and ends for PA. So I became an E5, like a staff sergeant, and I was doing like basically bitch work for E3s and E4s because I did, technically didn't have a job. <laughs> right. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, okay. So now, now you were there for about five years or whatever, but you know, what was your second MOS? That they that you were able or your third MOS at this point. What was your third MOS that you got? So uh, maybe I'm hard headed. Maybe I don't change as much as I'd like to think I do. But uh, five years or so ever later, they're like you can cross train or you can uh, you can cross train or you can get out basically. You know because you don't have a job anymore. And so I'm looking again. I'm like what do I want to cross train into? Well, in my what they call FTAC, first term airman's uh, class or center or whatever, uh, there was a girl in there who was in contracting. Okay. Well, I and then I learned that contracting has um it has like a sign on bonus, has a reenlistment bonus and everything. And then it also when you get out, I know a lot of people who go out get out into the civilian sector and they make like ninety K or whatever stuff. So I'm like it has outside potential. So I'm like, well and had, like I said at the time it had a reenlistment bonus because they needed people. So it was wide open for you to get in there. So I'm like, fuck, I'm gonna do that. And so that's what I ended up doing. I selected contracting and then uh, when I left Moody in July, I actually went back to Lackland, uh San Antonio, Texas, uh Lackland Air Force Base to go back to a, a tech school again for contracting this time. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, no, I was motor T when I went in. So I was destined to like drive a truck when I got out. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's one of the things I was hoping that we we talk about on this too, man, because that's one of the yeah. things that bugs me this much about uh, the military. Let me say it both ways. The yep. government and the way they treat veterans, and then the military and the way that it treats people leaving. Again, I right. can't com- I can't comment for every branch, can't comment for every base, so I can just only tell my own experiences. But there's certain jobs that, like, if you have, you can cross over to the civilian sector, no problem, you're good, you're golden. But right. then, like, some of the jobs that the military really needs to be done, they don't take care of those people on the way out. Because, like you said, you, you did the work that the military needed, because if you didn't do your shit, convoys don't happen. And that's a fucking right. problem, right? Like, exactly. things don't happen, real bad missions don't happen and stuff. Same thing with, like, uh, infantrymen and stuff like that. If they're not there, you know, what the fuck are we doing? And so they don't give those people a path out. You know what I mean? And I think that's a really shitty thing that our system does to those people because those are some of the most important people in the service. You should take care of them the most. Absolutely. And, I mean, by you not taking care of them, I mean, I don't know. So this is my mindset of it. So you go to boot camp. So you go to boot camp. You're in boot camp for a couple months, right? Then you go to, you know, combat training for a couple months. Then you go to your MOS school for a couple months. And then let's say you only do four years, all right? Like yeah, myself, yeah. I did four years. And then you go out, you get now, and it's like two weeks. Yeah. Like, here you yeah. go, you know, in that two weeks, it's just checking off boxes. Like, yeah, you turned in your fucking, all your gear, you're good to go. You know, you're, you know, how are we moving you or are you just taking the money? That kind of bullshit. And then, uh, so then you get out and what, you know, the government just took this asset. They built you up. They broke you down. They built you up. So mm-hmm. now they have an asset. And they should definitely make a better program so when you get out, you're better to the civilian side of society as well. Absolutely. You know, you know but we're getting dumped on the streets, really. The government's yeah. done with you. <laughs> and, and I don't know if it was this way when, with, uh, when you were getting ready to separate and everything, but on, on the way out, too, they're guilt-tripping you, too. They're trying to say, basically tell you you're not going to mount to shit on the outside. You know, They're like, <laughs> you're not going to make enough money. You're not going to do this. You know, Did you remember that you have this benefit while you're in all this shit? I'm like, dude, yeah. you've got 11 years out of me, essentially. You know, Two months shy, technically. But anyways, uh, you got 11 years out of me. Just let me fucking go in peace and wish me well on my way. Don't give me this bullshit where I got to do all this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and like you said, they don't, give, they don't set you up for anything because once you're not their problem anymore, they don't give a fuck. And they're like, get out, bye. And I don't blame like the individuals who are doing that because again, as a, a E5 or whatever else you are, when you're involved yeah. in those processes, you know, you, you got shit to do. You don't have time yeah. to worry about every guy or a girl who comes through your, your, uh, your door. You got to do your thing. But I'm saying the system overall should have something set up in place where you, like you said, some kind of career plan or other you know, stuff like that. They have yeah. some very basic, uh, foundational stuff, but most of the time you're coming out four years later, depending on what you saw, you may, uh, have some, some PTSD or other stuff like that. So you already have like, challenges you're going through and now you just don't have a career path so there's a lot of dudes uh excuse me men and women again who served and then they end up fucking like cooking at a local restaurant which again that's not i'm not saying that's a bad profession i'm just saying that you got thousands or maybe even millions depending on your career field spent on you to build you into what you were and now you're going back to this because they didn't provide you the proper transitional skills you know and they're doing it too with our purple heart recipients too oh yeah you know what i mean it doesn't matter who you are what your job is they're doing it to everybody and, you know, I say, you know, how hard is this? As you're getting out, you go to your admin, right? You have to go to admin anyways. You're doing all your yeah. paperwork, getting all that stuff done. How hard is it for your admin to have a list of VSOs, you know, veteran service officers for, mm. you know, everybody in every state and town in the U.S.? Mm. So let's say, all right, Brandon, you're getting out in 2016. You're going to Miami, Florida. Okay, so how hard is it for your admin guy to send a, a information about you to your VSO, your your closest VSO. 
And then mm-hmm. 30 days, 40 days, your VSO calls you, contacts you, goes by your door or something like that. Like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, you're finding your way. Are you getting a job? I mean, how hard how hard can that really be, you know? Yeah. And it's, it definitely needs to be something like that, man. I agree. Yeah, and it's that simple. And it's unfortunately, it's not happening. Um, the, the most heinous story that I've heard of, it's an example of this. Yeah. Uh, this is an Air Force kid. I think he was like an E3. E2, E3, something like that. Very low, very new and everything like that. Um, and he got tagged for deployment, but he got like appendicitis or something like that. Um, they're like, hey, you could still deploy, but you got to go get this appendix out or whatever. It was like outpatient surgery. It wasn't supposed to be there very long. Well, yeah. while they're in there, the freaking uh, medical, uh, excuse me, the military doctor nicks something and he starts bleeding internally. Um, and so before they can get him taken care of and everything like that, well, they end up, he's going to have to amputate one leg. Well, then this shit continues on. Now they're going to have to amputate both legs. So this kid goes in there for an outpatient operation to be able to deploy, wakes up, has no fucking legs, and they're trying to kick him out. They're trying to push him out of the Air Force. And like we just talked about, he doesn't have any prospects. He's barely been in, first of all. Second right. of all, there is great prospects for transitioning uh, airmen uh, out of the, the service anyways. And now you're trying to kick him out because your doctor's fucked up and because of the laws the way they were at that time, too. I think they've changed now. He yes. can't sue for malpractice, so he doesn't even get any kind of compensation for this. Now, he'll get, like, medical retirement. But what's that, like, fucking $1,500 a month or whatever it is for some kid who's, like, 23? And yeah. he's got no legs now because you guys yeah. fucked up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, wow. I mean... <laughs> You're telling yeah. me that. I'm like, fuck me, dude. If I woke up and that was me, I mean, there's nothing you can really do. There's really not. Like you're saying, there's nothing you could do, but. Oh, I'm going to get a prosthetic leg and shove it up somebody's ass for sure. Oh, That's something's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some, I mean, I, I couldn't. Holy shit. Oh, man. I couldn't. I, I can No. Like, I don't have a good experience with the VA I have here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of told my doctor guy, I was like, you guys aren't even real doctors, are you? I was like, you know, and it probably are. I mean, it's, it's it's my fault for saying that to him. It wasn't, you know, I shouldn't have said it to him. But, you know, I went to him and he's kind of, he told me, you know, I don't I don't have this, you know, any VA disabilities or anything like that, you know. Right. But I went to him. I was like, yeah, I've got some shoulder pain going on. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I want to fix it. And he goes, no, no, no. He's like, you want to take pills or? I was like, I don't know, doc. I was like, you know, tell, what do you, what do you? <laughs> What do you think I should do? And he's like, well, if you want to go see a chiropractor, I'll send you to see a chiropractor. If you want x-rays, I'll send you to go get x-rays. If you want physical therapy, I'll go get send you. And he's like, if you want pills, I'll give He's like, I'm the pill guy. I'm like, are you serious right now, dude? <laughs> but, it's probably uh, ibuprofen. I don't know if it's anything like, it, again, for yeah. the Air Force, and no matter what you went to the, the hospital for, you came back with some ibuprofen every fucking time. Oh, yeah, and a nice pair of clean socks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit, dude. I couldn't... Uh, yeah, you know, you're telling me that story, and I'm actually just recently, you know, through the podcast or whatever, I had a veteran reach out to me, and uh, he did 17 years in the Air Force, and he got medically discharged from there, you know, and now he can't collect um, retirement because he didn't retire from the Air Force. They medical discharged him, and uh, so now he's sitting there with a 100% VA, and it's only like three grand a month, yeah, and he's on his own, and it's it's horrible, you know, it's it's absolutely horrible. When they're getting three three thousand dollars a month, and then you find out what some of your politicians are making. Yeah, well, and my my whole thing is this, man, and I've said this for so many different things, but it really applies when you're talking about service members. Is the government put you in that fucking position? Uh-huh. How can you put me in this position where I'm getting medically discharged or something like that? You know what I mean? Nine times out of ten, uh, and then not take care of me. 
You, right. That's why this all this shit when they talk about you know uh, thank you for serving all this stuff. And I'm like yeah, words are great. Fucking do something. You know what I mean? Right. Again, I'm, I don't mean me personally because I came out okay. I'm no, no disabilities right. or anything like that. Uh, but I knew plenty of people did. I have them in my family. I have them the people that I served yeah. with and all this stuff. You know, so it's my brothers and sisters in arms, and it's fucked up that they don't take care of them the way that they're supposed to. You, you right. everybody loves to show the military commercials, but why just got fucking planes flying on, on uh, commercials or whatever else? But they're not actually helping these people once they come right. back. You know, this dude had to go to fucking Iraq and see a kid get blown up. And then you want to talk about, you know, what's he going to do when he gets back and everything like that? Fucking take care of the dude. Absolutely. He wouldn't have seen that shit if he stayed in Alabama or wherever the fuck he's from, you know? Right. Yeah, and absolutely. And that's where it comes down to, uh, you know, guys like me and you, you know, your fellow veterans, you know, your, your brothers in arms. I mean, that's why we got to stand up and we, got you know, even if, even if you had a bad time in service, and your butt hurt about your time in service or whatever, you know, don't, don't take your personal feelings out on another veteran that's in need or going through something else. You know, like, you know, you know, I could sit here all the time and say, Hey, yeah, the Marine Corps fucked me. So I'm not going to help out any of my brothers in arms. And I, and at that point I'm worse than what the Marine Corps did to me. I, you know, yeah. I feel, you know, I stood up, I took the oath. Nobody held a gun to my head. I took the oath and I'm going to live it until I'm, you know, six feet under, but. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's like that's what I told you before. I didn't join the the military as some uh, some great calling to serve my country or anything like that. But I right. take that shit seriously. You know what I mean? Right. Like I came because I needed something and it gave it to me and I wanted to give it back. You know, okay. one of the reasons that I decided to separate uh, around the time that I did is because I started to feel like I I was taking more than I was giving and I wasn't the I wasn't the person that the service needed anymore. You know what I mean? I felt right. like I'm me going and getting further rank or doing whatever else I'm doing. I'm just blocking other people who actually could be about it. You know, one of the troops that I had, uh, he's an officer now, um, still in the service, the bluest dude I've ever met, uh, you know, Air Force through and through. And I'm like, these are the type of people that need to stay in. These are the type of people that the service needs. And it doesn't need people like me, you know, staying in the way and collecting the check and just trying not to fucking uh, do what it needs me to do. You know, well, I'm right there with you. <laughs> So now that so we'll get back to your your uh your life story. Now that you're done with 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 Georgia, where did you go after the 5 years in Georgia? So after the 5 years in Georgia and I cross trained as I said into contracting, uh I got stationed. So again, interesting story about that. Because yep. I knew what had happened last time uh with me selecting my bases in Florida, I selected zero bases in Florida. I'm like, fuck that. I'm not <laughs> selecting anything in Florida. You're not sending me back to Moody. I will just lose my shit. Uh, so I picked like, I don't know, any big city. I wanted to go to a big city. I didn't care where it was. just wanted to go to a big city so I could actually do some stuff. Uh, and so when you cross train in the Air Force, you get what's called a base of preference, BOP. And I, so I did it. The first seven, you get to select seven and they turn them all down. They shot them all down and said, no, you can't do any of these. Pick some more. And so I'm like, all right, well, shit, now I've got to pick something in Florida. So I did. And then I got lucky this time. They actually gave it to me, uh, which was McDill. Uh, so in Tampa, Florida, I got stationed in Tampa, Florida back in 2010. And uh, that's where I did my last uh, around six years or so or service. Technically, like a little over five because I was terminal for like 90 plus days or whatever. But yeah. Okay. All right. So you get base of preference, mm-hmm. but then they just tell you no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they, it's base of preference, <laughs> but they have to have an opening. You can't, they get, yeah. they're not going to force you in there, you know. So. Okay. And, and the thing that pisses me off about that system, and I, again, I don't know if it's still this way because it's been a, uh, yeah. four years now, but you can only pick an overseas BOP if you've already been overseas. So you can't pick a basic preference overseas at an overseas location unless you're already over there. So unless you draw that lottery and get overseas once, then you can yeah. stay over there like your entire career. But you have to get overseas by <laughs> luck before they'll actually let you pick overseas, which is just, again, a sack of shit. All right. So now you're in Tampa. So I got to ask mm-hmm. you, football fan? 
Uh, no, not a huge one, but when I am, I represent the Browns because I'm originally from Ohio. So Okay, all right. Yeah, all right. R- rough times as a fan. But the Buccaneers uh, have turned things around recently, and I think I got – uh, no, the Bucks, no, I guess the Bucks won the, chance, the Super Bowl back in like 02 or something like that. That was a long time ago, I guess. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask you if you like – so you're, the Bucks are turning around because Tom Brady's down there. Well, Tom Brady, <laughs> and then it, he brought all the other people who decided to come to, yeah. to the fucking Bucks at the same time. So yeah, they, it was hilarious. Right. I used to hate the Patriots, man. Adam yep. Vinatieri, I oh. – because he would play, they would all they would do was keep a game within like three or six points, and Vinatieri would just knock it through, and they would take it home. And yep. I hated that style of football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I heard that, you know, Gronk's coming out of the fucking bushes and shit, like all of a sudden, all these <laughs> yeah, people yeah. are like, "What the hell?" You know. Um, but yeah, I, uh, unfortunately, I kind of died off on the on the football thing because that's getting more football's getting more political than it is actually the sport anymore. So I'm more of a hockey guy, anyways, but. Well, Tampa's got a pretty good hockey team uh, as well. So Tampa's <laughs> a good sports. Tampa's a pretty good sports town, which is not something you would expect to say, but it, it does. I because uh, I think I'm I'm pretty sure I'm accurate on this, and I I I'm apologize because I moved after, but I didn't. The Lightning just win the cup. Hmm. I had great Damn. timing on that question. <laughs> yeah, great timing. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm not happy about the whole the way that <laughs> the playoffs ended this year. I mean, Tuca kind of – I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of mixed motions on that. Our, our number one goalie kind of just quit halfway through the playoffs this year because, you know, I guess uh, – I don't know. I guess his, his kid got sick. So, I mean, I definitely understand that. But um, Who's your team? The Bruins. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That makes yeah. Sense. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So now – so now you're in Tampa. So now you yep. go from Georgia. Now you're in Florida. Now you're in the big city. Mm-hmm. Now what's how's life? You know, treating you at this point? Dude, night, night, and freaking day, man. Let me say this too. Uh, I'm very thankful that I got stationed in the middle of nowhere when I was younger because I would have got kicked out. I would have definitely got kicked out. Like <laughs> the people who get stationed in Vegas, I don't know how the fuck they do it. At the first duty station, there's no way I, I would have been responsible enough to handle that. So thankfully, like I said, I got stationed in Georgia. So now I'm in Tampa, a little bit older, E5 and everything like that, uh, trying to make sure that – because I around the time I tr- uh, got to Tampa, I was deciding you know, at that time that I think I'm going to get out. So I'm going to start preparing myself for, for you know the transition and everything like that. So come down to Tampa, man. Um, just a huge, huge change in culture because, you know, in Georgia, things are closed at like 7 p.m. If you want to go to do any shopping, it's at Walmart. Walmart is the store and everything <laughs> like that. And then you get to, a, again, a real store. It's going to be a real city again. And now, you know, you've got all these different choices and stuff like that. So I'm trying to figure my way out through there. Uh, you know, I'm dating at that time and all that type of stuff, too, trying to see uh, what the local scene is like with the women and everything. And uh, it's just really, really different, man. But what's one of the phenomenon that I've noticed is the worse the town, uh, the worse location that the base is in, the better the community on base. So when you go to a base that's in a really nice location, people fuck off after they get off work and they don't talk to anybody from work. So you don't have that same sense of community anymore. So now I'm in Tampa, great city, and I'm all excited and stuff. But now I don't know or really hang out with the people I work with like I did back in Georgia. Because back in Georgia, there's nobody there. So we all, we'd get off work and like, hey, you want to go grab a beer? You want to play some games? You want to do whatever? You know, and we'd hang out with the same people we kind of worked with. So we had much more tight-knit feeling. You know, I I ended up officiating a wedding for for a girl that I was uh, stationed at in Georgia with, you know, and everything. So, uh, but in Tampa, I don't really talk to any of those fucking people anymore. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I only know you from you know from seven to four. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and then I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, you know, my first duty station was out in Okinawa, Japan. And if I would have went to Vegas or something like that, yeah, I definitely wouldn't have made it or I'd be in the brig real quick. I wouldn't have been able to handle it either. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's the cards you're dealt and you're dealt them for a reason. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of funny that, uh, I mean, it's, it's good, but it's funny because you're kind of like, all right, you know, I really want to go to college. I don't have the money for college. My credit is shit. Nobody's going to yep. give me a loan. Yep. So I'm just going to go into the Navy here and I'm going to get that post 9-11 and I'm going to pay for college. I'm going to do four years and I'm out. And then every all the, the chain of events for you that happened. So, you know, you're not going to the Navy anymore. You're in the, in the Air Force. You get your uncle to pin you, yep. you know, and then you end up doing 11 years. Yeah. Now, did you Did you ever go back to school or did you use your post nine or no? Well, so when I signed up, they didn't even have the post nine. I was still the Montgomery. Now, because I, I kind of crossed both of those, uh, with both of them being active, I crossed both of those periods. I got to pick. And so I actually used a little bit of both of them, uh, throughout different times and everything like that. So, um, once I got to, so when I was in Georgia, I started class, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yep. I was just going to school because that's what you're supposed to do. That's how you get, you know, that's how, that's how part of how I got the Airman of the Year award and shit like that. You're just doing stuff because you're supposed to, right? Right. Uh, but I didn't know what I was doing. And thank God I, I didn't finish then because I don't know what the hell my degree would have been in computer science or something like that, probably. But, um, so then I get to, to Tampa and I'm like, all right, I got to start preparing myself for this transition. Let me go ahead and take advantage of the TA, uh, tuition assistance while I'm in. And, um, so I work on my degree over the next few years and stuff like that and uh, ended up getting my bachelor's. Um, <clears throat> and then I had to use some of my Montgomery GI bill while I was still in the service because I was trying to finish my degree in a certain amount of time and I'd run out of the t- tuition assistance money. So I had to like dip into the GI bill uh, while I was active. Um, so I got my bachelor's right before I got out, like literally two or three months before I went terminal, I got my bachelor's. And then I took six months off after I separated, and then I used my post nine eleven to uh, start my master's. So, and I ended up getting my master's back in two thousand eighteen. Outstanding! Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. I went to I went to uh, school when I got home, and uh, yeah, I didn't finish it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just not. I'm not a school. You know, I never was a school guy. You know, I didn't high school. I was on living on my own in high school, so. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my senior year, I think I missed 65 days in school. So, like, even to this day, I don't know how I graduated, but <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted to get rid of me, I guess. Um, okay, so it's, it's nice. So the transition for you to get out of the Air Force and back into the civilian world was relatively smooth because you did your good diligence and you worked your ass off getting your master's and everything else. Yeah, well, so it, it started with a small hiccup or whatever, but... It took me like I like I said I started to plan my my transition like four to five years out, and that's okay. why I was able to do it kind of like some and like we talked about before I had, I purposely picked a career field that I knew that would transition well, right. so it, it happened really well for those two reasons. But um, I, I when I my first job straight out of the military I took a pay cut I, I had to take a pay cut to just because I didn't have anything else lined up. And even though I had a few months of terminal pay that I could have just like sat on and not had to worry about, yep. I was too like nervous that something wouldn't come along to let that happen. And so I took a pay cut at a job and it was just, it wasn't even a full-time job really. It was a part-time covering somebody who was out on maternity leave. Um, and okay. then luckily while I was there and luckily for me, not for this guy, they ended up firing somebody and I took his <laughs> job <laughs> because I had worked there kind of like part-time as an hourly employee and stuff like that. Uh, and only got like a two grand pay grade bump or whatever. Um, but yeah. So then, then 
after working there for a while, I got the job that I was thinking I was going to be able to transition immediately into after the service, which was um, coming back onto base as a contractor, which you know makes a lot more money yep. than the servicemen and women do, uh, but doing pretty much the same job. And then I fucking hated that. <laughs> I, I, dude, like on day two, I was like, this is shit. I don't want to do this at all. This is not why I got out. Just to turn around and put on khakis, go from camo to khakis and, you know, yep. be in this shitty situation. Like I, I had the lady who I was supporting. She technically wasn't my boss, but she's my fucking boss. She sat literally right behind me and we, it was in a, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a secure facility, you know, so we had like the push to talk phones and all that stuff and like you couldn't have any electronic devices in and all that type of stuff, or whatever. Yeah. And so they had low walls so they could see everybody. So she sat right behind me and she could see what I was doing on the computer all fucking day long and she wasn't shy about like micromanaging that and everything like that. So it was just Jesus. not a fun experience, man. Not not good at all. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so yeah. So I worked I went and worked over at SOCOM for like six months. Um, doing some pretty cool stuff there, but it, it just hated it. H- went to work hating it every day and everything like that. I'm like, look, I'm a civilian now. This is exactly why I got out so I could make choices when I don't like shit. And then I uh, ended up working for a flight simulator company, which was pretty cool because I actually got to fly a flight simulator. Uh, let me say this. I can fly okay. I can't land for shit. I killed us every time we tried to <laughs> land. <laughs> so, so I'm not the guy who's going to help land a plane if a uh, pilot passes out or whatever, you know. Okay, but you're gonna keep us up in the air for a while, at least. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and then maybe I can get on a headset and they can try to talk me into the landing or something like that. But yeah, landing is hard as shit. <laughs> but and to be, to be fair, too, the simulator was for a C-130, so it's a real big bird. Oh yeah, like, oh yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so I did that for like uh, I was there for I think 19 months, and then not long after I finished my master's, uh, I ended up transitioning to the company I'm with now, which is. I think we're the third, I think we're third now, largest defense contractor in the world. So everybody can look that up and figure out who that is, but I won't say their name directly. Uh, And then I've been with them for just about two years and I'm in my second position with them. Got a promotion uh, earlier this year with them and everything. So it's it's been good, man. Transition's going well. Congratulations, man. I'm glad to hear that, uh, you know, that you were able to do this and everything's working out for you. But, you know, like I just want to hit on that again, that you did your good diligence going through. I mean, you didn't get your job that you wanted when you first got out, but you yeah. know, you kept at it and you kept going and kept pushing forward. And, uh, like me, when I first got out, I ended up doing a tar roofing job for, in North Carolina. And, uh, with the company I was working for, we were doing them on base and it came with all those stupid fucking restrictions on base that you had to follow. Yeah. You know, you know, you had to wear steel toe boots mm-hmm. had to wear jeans, jacket, gloves, face helmet, shield deal fucking rope and all this shit and uh the job yeah, sucked. Say, you probably have to be like like lassoed in or whatever and stuff yep, too right lassoed in jacket long <laughs> sleeves and i'm like you guys understand that this is fucking hot tar at my face and then the sun yeah. on my back but you know the group of guys that i work with definitely made that job what it is and uh that was the only good part about it was the guys i was working with they were a bunch of marines that been out for a little while and stuff like that but we would just fuck with each other you know dump each other's lunch buckets and in, in the tar and stuff um <laughs> <laughs> stuff uh, like awesome. that yeah but uh yeah i'm glad to hear that uh you know you're able to get the job that you want and job that you need and support yourself and your family and yeah i mean it's just I, i'm kicking what well, i'm thinking to myself right now i'm like man i should have just fucking went to school when i was in and prepared myself to get out but i didn't i definitely went the uh the more belligerent route i guess you can say <laughs> Well, I mean, and again, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Let me be clear yeah. about that. I, I think that there's different paths for everybody. Um, and 
I just knew that that was for me what was required. And I just went to online school, man. I didn't, I can't go to school full time. I can't because I know I don't have the attention span to sit in class. I zone the fuck out. I can't do it. I tried it when I was in Georgia. And I think it's one of the reasons I didn't finish degree because that was before like online school became so ubiquitous. Uh, and I was just sitting there in in class and I would literally like be hanging on my chairs and staring at the ceiling. I'm like, I got to get out of here. I don't care if I get a C, a D, as long as I have to pay back my tuition assistance money, let me get the hell out of here. That's all I want. So I was a terrible student when I had to go in person. And I think for me, that's what allowed me to do it because I would just work, you know, nine to five, whatever else, uh, and just go to school online. And I would just knock out my assignments after work and try to do it that way. Now, is it the easiest way to do it? No, but it was the only way I could have done that shit. But more to the point, there is starting to turn a tide again, I think, where college degrees aren't as mandatory in certain industries. Because it right. wasn't like that for a long time, you know, and now a lot of the trade businesses are coming back pretty strongly. And I've even seen that some of the, uh, the, the tech businesses and stuff like that, they don't even necessarily require a degree. If you can go in there, you could code, then you pass their, like, their tests or whatever. They're like, fuck it, come on in. We don't care. Yeah, exactly. What was the, what would you would say would be the, the number one thing that you took throughout your whole military career? Like, what was the number one thing that you could take away from that? Oof. Man, so many, so many, so many good lessons. Uh, but I think for me, it's just trying to be a person of honor, man. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, that's going to, I'm going to fail at that sometimes. First of all, let me start there. Cause I don't want to come off like I'm some I'm holier than now and I'm doing right. it perfect and shit like that. No, it's just the attempt of trying to do my actions with honor, trying to be somebody that I respect and trying to, when somebody attaches the word veteran to my name, that it comes off with honor again, not that I'm shitting like, Oh, look what the air force turns out. They turn out these pieces of shit like this guy. Uh, right. that's why we, we don't support the military or whatever. You know, I want to, I, whenever somebody sees me and they think veteran, I want them to be like, oh, okay, the, the military is turning out some good people and that type of stuff. So I think for me, it's just really being attached to what that means. You know, the, the military, excuse me, the Air Force has its, uh, its, uh, Air Force values and everything like that. It's Air Force core statements and stuff, you know, integrity for service for self and, uh, excellence in all we do. And the honor kind of encompasses, I think, a lot of those. So for me, that would be it probably. Okay. So the one thing that we, I didn't, I forgot to mention though, for my time at Moody, that's probably one of my favorite things that I did in the service, uh, is I actually got to do honor guard, you know, so I actually got to do honor guard and, uh, for funerals and, uh, you know, carry the casket and the whole nine and, uh, do the simulated. We didn't have live ammo or anything like that, but doing, um, uh, the, it wasn't 21 gun salute. We only had three of us, but right. still doing, you know, the, uh, the firing and all that type of stuff, whatever, man, that was like, again, it's weird to say that. Cause it's like, you're literally carrying dead bodies and shit, but you're paying that back to a service member who came before you. And like, right. that's just one of the, I don't think there's anything that I could have done that gave me more respect for the entirety of the process and really connecting me to the overall uh, experience of what it meant to be. Cause you know, I'm thinking like in my will or, or whatever, I have uh, military honors elected for me as well. I want them for my funeral. And so now there's going to be some kid who was in the same fucking shoes that I was, you know, 15, 20, how, I don't know when I'm going to die. So 70 years, whatever it is uh, in the future. And he's going to be doing the same thing that I was, you know what I mean? He's going to be going, driving with his group. They're going to be talking shit the whole way. They're going to get there. And then there's all these people crying. It's super weird for them because they don't actually know me. It's just like that whole service, uh, service for self type shit. You're going back to do it again. And that cycle continues. Hopefully that kid, you know, will have that in his funeral and then so on and so forth, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like, I, I, I got you, brother. You know, I'll, I'll get you to where you need to go. I kind of, you know, I've never, I've never had to done that, do that, um, carrying the caskets or anything like that, but I've done the 21 gun salute, you know, for, you know, VFWs and stuff like that around my area for, you know, parades and stuff like that. But I, I can definitely see what you're saying. Like, that's gotta be, 
hey, I'll get you where you're going. You know, mm-hmm. you could, you can only make it so far. I'll, I'm going to carry you the rest of the way. And that w- would definitely be an honor. Um, in a weird way, you know, yeah, definitely yeah, weird really way. Weird. Yeah. V- very weird. You know, um, cause you're not saying anything bad about the guy. You don't know the guy or anything like that, but he's still your brother or your sister who's ever in there. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that, that had to have been tough. Anyways. The hardest part of it by far, and I think anybody who's done it will tell you this, but just like anything else in the military, because we go through so many ridiculous situations that normal human beings are supposed to be, there's also humor in there, so I'll, I'll get to the right. humor after it, but uh, is handing the flag, because you know you fold the flag after you take it off the casket and everything like that, handing the flag to the next of kin. That by far is the hardest thing to do because, you yeah. know, you have to keep your military bearing. You're not – no emotion or whatever and stuff. And then you kneel down and you go to give it to her and you say – uh I always forget what it's called, but basically you say the message of condolence, um, you know, on behalf of a a grateful nation and the president of the United States and blah, 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 blah. And a lot of times they're already crying. They're already crying. It's weird. It's a little awkward. It's like that's not too bad. The weird ones, the really hard ones are when they're not. They're not crying. They're not doing anything. But then you hand them the flag and they just lose their shit. Oh, yeah. And they just like start bawling everything. And again, because you have to like military bearing, stand back up, slowly salute and everything and get the fuck out of there. And it's just, again, it's just a super weird experience. But, like as I said, because everything in the military is so ridiculous that there's always humor in it, at one of the funerals of a guy, a guy that I was in uh, honor guard with, when he was doing that, I wasn't at the service, it was before I joined, um, yeah. he went to go hand the flag, the, the flag to the next weekend, which in this situation was uh, the man's wife. And when he goes to give it to her, he's like, give it to that uh, bitch in the back that he was fucking. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, and so, you, you know, you, he's sitting there. I think he's like an E4 or whatever it is. He's like, uh, who am I supposed to give it to? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and so he actually got up and went and gave it to the lady that she was talking about, whoever he had been cheating with, <laughs> like his oh. mistress. <laughs> I mean, how do you not keep your bear- How do you keep your bearing on that one? You know what I mean? Oh, it's again, it's the most ridiculous situation because yeah. the kid's like 22, I don't know, 22, 24, whatever, he's a young kid, and he's just trying to do his, his service in this this uh, this funeral, and then he has to deal with that. And you're like, I, that's, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, <laughs> you just throw that's... the flag and run. You're like, get out of here. <laughs> I'm just going to put the flag here. You know who you are that needs this. Yeah, Nobody yeah. will look. You can come down and take it. Uh, yeah. Whoever wants it the most, just come grab it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you, as you're telling that story though, um, back on the real note of it, I'm just, I don't know if I'd ever have the bearing to do that. Cause there, I don't think I'd be able to take myself out of the equation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Handing over the flag and not, not thinking that it's me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I watch, you know, ever since my daughter has been born, I mean, call me a puss, whatever, but ever since my daughter's been born, I watch them certain things and I'm like, you know, I can't imagine going through that and then like handing that over. That's, uh, you know, I got a lot of respect for you, to, you know, because at that time that you, you need to keep your bearing, that's like one of the most important times in, in your life that you're going to have to actually keep your bearing and you're able to do it. I honestly don't say, I can't say that I could, you know, and no disrespect to the family member or anything like that. Yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. me personally, I don't think I could. And, um, and I've had a lot of stupid shit in my face to keep me, yeah, yeah. my bearing. But as far as that, I couldn't, uh, I definitely wouldn't have been able to do it if I had to give it to his is uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean i'd probably have to be like sir you're gonna have to pull rank here you're gonna have to give me a direct order to give it to somebody else because <laughs> yeah. i mean <laughs> oh, I mean, unless i seen it in a letter of the deceased saying hey don't give it to her give it to this girl i would have I been fine with it but 
I don't yeah. know, man. <laughs> that's that's the, and it's and it's funny that um I watch. I don't know if you ever seen this TV show or or TV channel. It's called Vet TV. Uh, I don't think so. I think I may have seen like a couple of uh, episodes from things that are on there, like through YouTube or the internet in general. Yeah. But I don't think I've actually seen the channel. I watch it, and it's it's a lot of stupid military humor. And uh, you know, even for my listeners out there, I'll tell you, get on their Vet TV. Um, it's fucking hilarious. If you want, if you're sitting at home and you're missing the military, watch this. It definitely, you know, it definitely brings out military humor. Like, you know, one of the scenarios was like, you know, it's like grunt, grunt force or something like that. And, uh, you know, the guy was talking about, it. he's like, yeah, I was in, uh, you know, my top and my captain walked by and caught me, you know, fucking my flashlight in the shower. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely that, you know, and it brings you back, it brings you back and, uh, they definitely get it. And it's like, cause you know, you can't say things in the civilian world anymore. People get all, yeah. you know, nobody knows who they are anymore. You know, everybody, but yeah. Um, I was going to go on a tangent there. So I'm stopping myself because I was going to go on a political <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I didn't uh, get to do anything like that as far as that, but I don't know if you know this about me, but, uh, you know, I'm a, a mission 22 ambassador. Roger. All right, so you know, listeners, as me and Brandon are uh, sitting here and we're joking about some things and stuff like that. At the end of the day, there's definitely a big no bullshit, you don't joke around um, issue right now with veterans out there and service mm-hmm. members and stuff like that. Um, you know, twenty two a day are committing or taking their own lives or committing suicide. Um, there's definitely. You know, there's definitely a calling out there, I think, for other veterans. Like we said in our show tonight, the government kind of, once you're done, you're signed the paperwork, say you're getting out, they kind of just say, hey, get the fuck out. And mm-hmm. they kick you to the curb. And as one veteran, you know, I want to reach out to, to every, all the other veterans out there. I mean, we have to stand up and, you know, reach out to one another, give people, give each veteran a hand, hang out with them even, you know, call them up and stuff like that. Um you know, 22 a day is just it's way too much. I mean, you even when a simple phone call can take it from 22 to 21, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so if you're out there and you need someone to talk to, I mean, you can get a hold of me at Dave at American Vet Podcast dot com uh, is the new email you can get to me. Um, you can go on Facebook. You can go anywhere you can get a hold of me. Instagram. I even got a TikTok because that's what everybody's doing nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> uh you can get a hold of me everywhere there. Uh if you don't want to call me, then you can always call uh mission twenty two at one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Hit option one. And you'll talk to somebody there, it's another veteran. It's not gonna be some PhD, you know, crazy out doctor giving you terminology, throwing pills at you, you know, telling you to change your socks and stop being a wuss or anything like that. Um it's gonna be other veterans out there. And if you're around a bunch of people, like I said before, and you don't want to actually talk, you can text them at 838-255. Yeah, get get the help that you need and, you know, don't become a number 22 because it's the end of the day. You can't, it's tough just hearing about, you know, even not knowing these guys and girls out there, you know, you see their names on lists or you see numbers and it's, it's heartbreaking. Absolutely. And as we were kind of talking about before we got on here, uh, I actually do um, know one of the the people who joined the 22. Um, and in a really weird 
coincidence of my life. I've known two people uh, that I knew like pretty closely who committed suicide, and both of them ended up becoming national news stories. One was a kid I was in high school with um, who committed suicide not long after he got to college, and then they wrote an article about it in Rolling Stone. And then my former OIC from my time at McDill uh, in Tampa. Yeah. She ended up uh, joining the 22. She had recently separated, and it was... So my last tour, uh, as I said before, non-combat deployments, but my last tour was in uh, 2015, and I yeah. left in January. So I had like a going away. And, you know, fraternization, fraternization, whatever. Yep. She she was no longer in the service, but we were friends. And so I invited her to my going away. We were chatting and she was going to come and everything like that. She ended up not making it. Um, then I'm deployed. I'm probably deployed at this point for like 30 days or something like that. And then uh, my ex-girlfriend, who also knew her, uh, texts me and tells me, you know, she uh, she passed away. Okay. And then she texts me again later and she's like, it was, it was suicide. Um. And that was the second person that I knew who had passed away on my deployment. And then, like I said, I'm in my first 30, 45 days of that deployment. Uh, and then, so you're already dealing with that. You're already dealing with, you know, yep. people dying while you're gone and stuff like that, which is messed up. But then, she, like I said, before she became a national news story, her face is on the cover of a Yahoo homepage. Yep. Um, you know, they're, they're, everybody's writing about it. Everybody's talking about it. I have to hear all these people. Here's one thing I can tell you right now. If you ever know somebody who commits suicide, and it's a female particularly, don't call them fucking beautiful. It doesn't fucking matter anymore. You're right. like, you're doing this stupid thing where you, these people are dead, and it doesn't matter what they looked like. If they were pretty, if they were ugly, or if they were whatever else, they're a veteran right. who committed suicide. You right. know what I mean? Uh, anyway, sorry, small tangent, but just because that's yeah. how they were talking about her. They kept talking, and that's part of the reason she became this whole news story, because they're like, oh, she was so beautiful. She had her whole life ahead of her, and blah, 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 blah. But like... There were things that she saw in her uh, last deployment, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but again, I, I'm not trying to go into too many details because, like I said, I don't want to involve her family in this and it again absolutely, or whatever. But, absolutely. Uh, but just as some of the things that she saw in her deployment, uh, I heard didn't sit right with her. And then just other things in general. So, you know, she joined the 22. Uh, and I know for every one of her, there's 21 others. Right. And we know, I know that they, those 21 people have 21 families and, you know, 21, right. uh, people who know them and all this type of stuff. So if you're a veteran, man, please, you know, reach out, uh, hook up with a battle buddy, make sure you're out there, you're talking to people because you're not alone. And being asked to go through the shit that the military asked you to go through isn't supposed to necessarily sit right with you. So make right. sure that you're getting the help you need because you're asked to do extraordinary things because you're an extraordinary person. Let's make sure that you stay that extraordinary person and uh, do what we can to make sure that everybody comes home. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like I said, there's a famous quote out there. And I'm not trying to take it like this is my quote, but uh, I don't know who said it. So I can't, I don't know. Um, but the famous, the, the number one quote I love of all time is, um, if you don't heal what hurt you, you'll bleed on those who didn't cut you. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's true. 100%. Like, you know, like you're saying with your, your OIC there, you know, you know, 30 days you're gone and then you get that text message and everything else. And it's somebody that you never, it's your OIC. You never thought that would happen to. Yeah. And it still eats people up. And, you know, unfortunately for her, you know, she lost that battle. And, uh, you know, if you, if you're fighting, if you're fighting a battle within, you know, you can reach out to me. You know, like I said, AmericanVetPodcast.com. You can get on there, Dave, at AmericanVetPodcast.com. That's my email. Um, 
you can get, get a hold of me, get a hold of Mission 22. There's a lot of organizations out there. There's, you know, there's a ton of them. There's a ton of them. And, uh, there's vets like, you know, Brandon here. There's vets like me. There's, you know, there's, there's definitely avenues out there that you can go and, you know, you don't necessarily have to see, have to have seen some type of combat or some type of crazy thing to actually have issues. Whatever the case is, you can reach out to us and get, get help. Don't become a 22 and continue your fight, continue your battle. And, uh, we'll get that number lowered. Absolutely, man. The world's better with as many vets as we can have in it. Period. Absolutely. Veterans are unique people and we need all of them. Especially now and then with uh, you know, with the US the way it is right now, it's we're we're as a whole as a lost soul. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know what to call anybody. We don't know what to say. We can't, you know, there's a lot of things going on right now and you can always go to a veteran and talk to them like me and you are vet, you know, we were talking our, you know, the veteran humor, or the, the the dialect and stuff like that. It's always going to be there. That's who yeah. you are now. You know, like I said, you go to boot camp, they beat you down mentally, they build you back up. So now that's you. Um, you know, there's always avenues out there. Have a good time. Have just talking to somebody. Absolutely, man. And that's one of the things I think that a lot of people they talk about that. When you leave the service, you're leaving a lot of times for most people. Uh, you know, the brother and sisterhood of what that was because as you said the people i work with now my civilian job i don't i barely know them you know what i mean right but uh, a lot of the veterans that i, I serve with and stuff like that i've seen half of them naked or you know whatever yeah. else it is you know it's just all the weird shit you guys get into and it's it's a bonding experience that is unlike anything else i think in the human experience that, that is out there so uh it's it's not uncommon for people to start feeling lonely after they leave the service, and that's why it's so important that you continue to use that network, use the veterans network to try to make sure that you stay connected to something. Don't let it just become when you start to suffer in silence because you don't have that support system anymore. It's always there for you. You just got to reach out for it. Yeah, absolutely. And veterans too. I mean, if 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 you see your your brother and your <clears throat> or your sister going, and they you know they're giving you because we've all had those those weekend libo you know, briefings of, you know, these are the signs. This is, you know, the signs aren't always there, but, you know, don't, if you, if you have a thought in your mind that your, your buddy is going through something right now, but then you, you kind of tell yourself like, ah, oh, maybe he's not, you know, he's, he's tough. He's just, he's having a bad day. You know, I'll call him yeah. tomorrow. Don't do that. Don't be that one. You know, call him now, you know, go, go check on him. You know, whether you say you flat out ask him or, you just hang out with them. You know, sometimes that's all, that's all we need, really. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like you said, the worst thing that's going to happen if you talk to somebody and they weren't having those thoughts or whatever is they're, because we're vets, we're going to talk shit about you. But we're right. going to talk shit about you no matter what you do anyway. So it doesn't matter. Right. Just reach out to them, check on them, make sure they're good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if they're not going through there, they'll say something like, oh, what, well, now you're going to take my pants off or something like that, right? <laughs> you want a hug? Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. Poor, Pour mortar oil on ourselves, you know. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, Brandon, I want to I want to say thank you for coming on to the show, and listeners, thank you for uh, listening. And you know, it's been an honor to have you on my show, and I'm glad that uh, you're able to find your way, and you got a, a a job that you genuinely sound like you care about, and you're you're ecstatic to have. Like your 11 years is worth it. 
Absolutely, man. Like I said, serving in the military is one of the greatest things I'll, I'll ever do. Uh, and I'm glad that at the end of the day, I was able to give what I was able to give to the service and serve my country proudly. And uh, thank you for your service, man. Appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything that you want to plug in here going out or? Uh, sure. If you want to hear me ramble some more about a myriad of topics, uh, please find me on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the places, uh, at Starting Nowhere. I have my own podcast called Starting Nowhere. We talk about any and everything. Uh, as I always say, courage isn't mandatory, but it's often encouraged. Excuse me, excuse me. Swearing is not mandatory, but it's often encouraged. Well, fucking right it is. listeners thank you for listening again and once again i I created a website here make it easier for everybody to get a hold of me it's americanvetpodcast.com thank you brandon once again i can't thank you enough for coming on here tonight and being a being a good guest for me absolutely thank you excuse me thank you for having me yep listeners stay tuned for the outro if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high. But we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom.